Hey everybody, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Thanks everybody who's been listening to all the episodes, especially my episode on what a train wreck, a wreck of seven high evolution has been. And if you're wondering why I've been doing a lot of movies on the podcast lately, part of it is because I really miss going to the movie theater, and I used to... at one point in my life, go to the movies about once a week. And um, when I, actually, hilariously enough, when I did do that, that was when cable providers used to provide you with free tickets and Clearview was still, like, a movie theater that existed. So, um, for, like, two, three years, I saw every, I saw every major release. I just, saw every major motion picture release you could think of, including Spring Breakers. Yes, I've, I saw Spring Breakers in theater, because, in theater because I was insane and deeply under-slash-unemployed at the time. Um, but the reason why I've been doing a lot of movies is because I miss going to the movies, so I built myself a movie theater. It was one of my very early COVID projects. And every Tuesday night, I take myself to the movies, and I have generally been using that as an excuse to watch anime movies that are either just released or I've been meaning to get to. So I, and as a course of that, I always end up talking about them here because movies, even if it's a movie for a show that existed, like high evolution is just like an interesting take on that show's universe that lots of times has to be completely insular because you can't just drop the integrity of the show. So I I have been watching a lot of that. Also, the entire Studio Ghibli library is available on um, on HBO Max, which is stunning because somebody went out and they negotiated that deal, which is excellent. So... All that stuff is right there for me to be like, oh, let's go watch and talk about a Studio Ghibli movie I maybe never have watched before. And in this episode's case, that movie is Isao Takahata's Palm Poco. Now, if you've, if you've, if the only thing you've ever seen out of Studio Ghibli is, um, 
Hayao Miyazaki movies. Isao Takahata's movies will probably take you by surprise because we're... Well, Miyazaki is heaping a lot of, like, environmental messaging and, like, war is bad, trees are good kind of thing into his movies. Uh, Isao Takahata is a lot different. And, um, I don't think I've ever actually seen a full Isao Takahata movie before this. And the reason for that is, A... Prince Monoki is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, B. Isao Takahata has his movies just because of the amount of time they take and their general subject matter take... A, a they take way longer to come out. B, they're much less... Not less focused, but they're more meandering. And le- they... A deal less to trappings that the rest of the world are like, ooh, I'll go watch that. Um, to give a perfect example, in in even let's say um, Princess Mononoke, it, Princess Mononoke is very much about environmentalism and about like people fucking up the earth because they want money or well, they want money or fame or whatever. <sighs> and it, it it takes place in a specific period of Japanese history and but they don't tell you that, so it can it can be this weird high fantasy Japanese feudal thing that you don't know have to you don't have to know a lot about in order to like wrap your brain around it. Whereas something like Pompoko or Pompoko in this case, um is very much rooted in the early sixties in a period of in like an economic boom period for Japan and there is a narrator specifically to take you through the time period of this movie and what is like economically happening to these surrounding wilderness of Tokyo as a result of more middle more middle class families being created and it is it, it is this movie can totally be watched by children but there's a there's a there's an intelligence to it. I think that Princess Mononoke was the movie... If Princess Mononoke, Mononoke was the movie that John Lasseter saw or people at Disney saw and said, this movie doesn't treat children like idiots. Because, um, just as a weird aside, one of Walt Disney's principles when he was creating children's movies was he didn't want to treat children like they were morons because and this is still true today for the record so much of children's media is like 
you do not have the brain capacity to comprehend these things. So we're so we're not even going to bother attempting to explain it to you. you we're just going to treat you like a little dumb dumb, and you're going to. And you'll watch it because you're a kid and you're gullible and like bright, shiny colors. And that makes a fair amount of children's media just like unwatchable past the age of like 10, basically. <laughs> and in Walt, in Walt Disney's opinion, was, what he wanted to do was he wanted to treat children like uh, children and his viewers in general like they had any intelligence at all. Like, you don't need me to dumb this down for you. If you watch any of... If you watch any of the Disney movies, they don't feel... One of the reasons why they're so good is because they don't feel like they're being ratcheted down to be dumber to, to be dumber for the audience who is just younger, not necessarily less intelligent. And they... That gives them an on. That gives them a. It gives them a certain level of honesty that endears them to you. Way beyond the the time you first saw them. I mean, and this is true for basically anybody who's ever been a kid. You know, Aladdin is incredible, and uh, it Aladdin is actually my favorite Disney movie. <laughs> Not the live action junk. That's a nightmare. Um, the actual animated Aladdin, and that movie has all the elements of, like, this is what it's like to be poor in the Middle East in a certain time period, and it sucks. And it's not shy about it. It, do it doesn't try and be like, yeah, but, like, everything's all jolly and good. No, Aladdin's life before he was Prince Abagwa sucks <laughs> and like he encounters other princes and they are assholes and the move but the movie is not like we need to hide this from children it finds a way to tell the story without like 900 percent like doom and gloom and then aladdin died in a gutter basically and princess monoki has that same Prince Monoki and Spirit Away. Spirit Away is a much more child-oriented Ghibli film than uh, um, than Princess Monoki. Prince Monoki is fucking some. Prince Monoki is some violent shit. It is a guy's a guy's head gets chopped off just like in passing by an arrow. Shot by our main character, shot by Ashitaka, just clean slices his head off with an with an arrow from a bow. It's insane. Um, I've covered it before in this podcast. Um, you can find it in whatever in the feed in whatever you need to listen to me right now. But the reason why I just went on that big diatribe is because Palm if. Prince Monoki, Monoki and Spirited Away are the are not treating people are not treating their viewers like they're stupid. Pom Poco is a film made about a period of time, and as a result, it needs a narrator to explain to you 
what is happening in the world that is resulting in the plot. <laughs> because the plot of this movie is... And they call them raccoons in the English dub, which, you know, that's its own problem. They, they, The characters in Pompoco are not raccoons. They're a kind of raccoon dog called... Um, Tanukis and Tanukis can transform into stuff or typically could, but they're generally wild creatures. If you want a great like primer on Tanukis, that's a shit ton of fun. Um, go watch the show Eccentric Family. Actually, if you were to line up Pompoco with Eccentric Family, uh, Pompoco is like the precursor to eccentric family, not only in the time it came out, but in the fact that this is this is a community of Tanukis coming together to try and protect their forest. At, and at first, <laughs> they straight up just murder a couple of actual human people. Three before the halfway point, this movie has killed three humans. <laughs> Like, they are just dead. <laughs> but then what they do is they resolve that maybe the best way to take care of, to, like, watch out for their own and affirm their forest is to be, it to basically haunt their forest. Use their sh use their Tanuki transformation to like appear as spirits and like evil shit to haunt the to haunt the forest and to scare and to scare the shit out of humans. And the narrator, th this this film, I'm not sure how. I'm not sure how present the narrator is in the English in the English sub in the subtitled um in the. the Japanese dub, but in the English dub, it, the narrator is really heavy because it, he wants to give like almost like a National Geographic like animal observer um frame to the entire movie. So like when Tanuki's when the Tanukis are, like, fucking around, he's like, and Tanukis are, of course, very lazy. Nine of them pretended to be asleep in a, in a meeting in, in order to stop, in order to end it. Um, and they... Th so, th this movie has this, like... This movie feels a lot, like, has the same kind of almost look and feel as at times as ocean waves it never really has that feel of like you can believe it being on the big screen absolutely i mean i watched it on like a hundred inches of awesome um but i you it doesn't have the same grand cinematic quality that Princess Mononoke does. It has a much smaller, much less, oh fuck, we're fighting a god. <laughs> oh fuck. Lady Eboshi is taking her, is making her attempt at killing and or usurping god. 
it it's about it's about a community trying to protect itself at its core and it's about it's it's a it's trying the movie the entire movie is trying to in a much less fuck you this is bad kind of way um still it's a it's still very much a fuck you this is bad kind of way um it is trying to show what happens to a forest when a development happens which is super relevant at least where I am right now I don't know about you the listener although although I know that most of my listeners are in California hi California and I'm in New Jersey which is basically at some point east coast motherfucking California um we got the beaches and everything god damn it we're even close to the same shape although we're not as big which is very strange um but in New Jersey, there is so much development happening currently. Um, there are whole plots of land that, when I was a kid, were open and free and rolling and expansive that are now just corporate office parks. Um, and the question becomes, what happens to all the... the question people are asking what happens to all the wildlife that inherits those spaces and palm poco is really forcing the viewer to acknowledge that as a thing because they uh, every couple of every once in a while in the movie they'll come back to this they'll come back to the concept that this urban expansion is like slowly grow is still growing and they are getting closed in from one they are getting like pushed further and further off to one side until there's no room left and i had not pre we um i moved recently and that's why i get to um broadcast from my new fancy studio the perch on top of a freaking mountain. When I lived where I was, we never we encountered deer. Like the people where I where I was, we encountered deer. But where I am now, because I'm significantly closer to straight up the woods, <laughs> we encounter bear. <laughs> like I I got a ring doorbell and yo, it's bear o'clock. <laughs> on ring all the time around here and that's not uncommon and the reason why that's not uncommon is not because bears are it's not because bears are invading our space it's because we invaded theirs the the thing that most the thing that most people don't explain well when they talk about like why you know environmentalism is important is because the long and short of it is that if we don't take care of the environment it's not that we're destroying the environment it's that we're giving it enough fuel to wipe us off the map the earth will be fine the earth will continue to exist until long after we're gone 
but by pull, by by imbalancing the scales ever so slightly, you know, we put another like we can put all of Florida. Uh, I have no doubt we can put all of Florida underwater by like twenty forty or some nightmare. The um, in fact, the thing that ruined that movie weathering with you, the thing that like ripped that movie apart and like tore the thunder and like made the ending a kind of existential fucking nightmare. <laughs> and I talked about this when I talked about in my weathering with you episode, which you can find in the feed where where on whatever you're using to listen to me right now, once again, um, is that the end of that movie is basically global warming not only is coming, but has come for us, and we have no plans, and we're slightly fucked, but, you know, we're together, so it'll be okay. Like, no, it will not. The end of that movie is half of Tokyo is just underwater now. <laughs> And it never stopped raining. That's that's the nightmare. That's the problem. That's how humans get to not be around anymore. And in Pompoco, they're at the beginning of that cycle. The the like the humans. Let's take. Let's call the. Let's call, let's call the, um, let's establish one, one of the characters in Pompoko as humans. Humans is a character in Pompoko. And they, so humans keep expanding and expanding and expanding and like, they, they give you this like, Look at a lot of the people who live in the, like, what they describe as very rightfully in it. And so, I'm going to say some shit that seems super off topic, even for me. But this show made a lot of other shows, the setting of a lot of other shows, make so much fucking sense. Like, the early episodes of Inuyasha, the fucking... the bananas like real world parts of bleach um the early episodes of Yu Yu Hakusho which is actually I meant to say Yu Yu Hakusho the um the freaking episodes actually the episodes of Inuyasha where Kagomi just in in normal Japan not in like Heisei area Japan um it, there's this kind of fucked up claustrophobia phobic feeling to like um the scenes where Ichigo just walking around his home his neighborhood and like kicking a can and helping ghost children. There's that same that, that same feeling to the early episode to the like reincarnation arc episodes of Yu Yu Hakusho and Um, the only other universe in which I, like, I've felt that kind of visual claustrophobia that, that exists is, um, 
in Morocco in the Medinas. And that's what the, is kind of the inspiration for the Medina that's in Aladdin, the um, the um for the for that opening musical number. But they always see like those those neighborhoods always seem slightly confused, and like they were they're being outgrown constantly by everyone who has or ever will exist. And Pompoco, in its, like, in its scene where they're, like, and there were a bunch of very poorly planned suburbs just thrown the fuck up like they were selling hotcakes because basically they were. And it occurred to you that you're seeing two phenomenons at once. You're seeing the kind of like burst, the kind of burst of suburban sprawl and the kind of exodus of families from like slightly more rural areas into the like low-lying suburbs that surround Tokyo. Um, my friend Kie, hi Kie, I keep meaning like text you or call you, is um, she went back home and she lives in in Western Tokyo, and that could mean she lives in like the city center, but like in the west part of the city center. But it probably more accurately means she lives in like an immediate suburb, and she can get on a train and go in anytime. It's the it's. It's the equivalent of if you live in New Jersey and you take the train into the city, basically, without the, like, state border, so to speak. And watching this movie, like I said, things like the early episodes of Bleach, the first episode of Bleach, the early episodes of Yu Yu Hakusho, and all these other things, like, clicked into my head, like, oh, the... the the reason why this, like, why these street structures all seem to be kind of fucked up is because they are, and they weren't planned, and, like, a, generations of people have used these fucking things since the early 60s, and, like, no one planned for everybody has, like, 9 million devices and Wi-Fi, that's why the electrical cables are fucked in Tokyo, and... That, like I said, that claustrophobia I've only ever experienced in real life in um, the Medina because I've never, I'm, I was planning on going to Japan pretty soon, but you know, I have the money. I need the airport to open and my, my passport to be worth fucking anything. Um, but, you know, coronavirus. So, the opening of this movie is like, we have to protect ourselves from the humans. And the, their first attempt at, once they, like, learn to trans, once they relearn the, like, ancient Tanuki art of transforming, they all learn to transform and eventually learn to transform into humans as well as objects. 
and they ultimately become like basically one of the Tanukis, Ganta, sets up this um this like task force where he wants to deal with the he wants to deal with the humans and they all go they all go to the construction site and they like fuck and they like engage in guerrilla warfare in their first in their opening move of like they fucking like i said kill three people just just ice three motherfuckers and everybody's like and they're all rightfully like we um fucking killed three of these idiots all like simultaneously we committed a simultaneous murder spree of three we did it guys get the celebration hamburgers we did it and one of their like initial plan one of their like initial parts of their plan is they're like we need to study the humans we need to learn that we need to learn what they what they think and how they think so they straight up just go fucking acquire a tv and so they have the news running all the time in the background so they can hear the local news running all the time in the background so they can hear what's happening with this big ass fucking development that's going to push them out of their home forever and it and this is really this is really true to life they in like a way where you could feel the sheer amount of money that goes into like big real estate developments of like oh we're willing to sacrifice like as long as it's not like a hundred people killed by by indian spirits because we hit an indian burial ground we're fine with just like a certain amount of just oops that guy's dead now Get, send a settlement to his family and keep fucking trucking because and this was true in my old in my old neighborhood um there is so much money to be had by a developer if they can develop an area or a plot of land fairly quickly with some amount of um presentation that it is nuts so um the town i live by the um the area i live is pretty close to the jets practice stadium which if you've never seen it is the new jersey jets football team practice team which you've never seen it it's when it was first constructed it was this big fucking nightmare trapezoid in a Field. And since then, um, two corporate two corporate campuses have sprung up around it, and just a sea, a s- actual fucking sea of condominiums. And everybody buys into these things because they're like, "Ooh, blah 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 blah." Maybe they work at the stadium, or maybe they work, you know, in one of those corporate office in one of those corporate campuses. But, and I said, and when, when they said, I know I keep coming back to the poorly planned thing, but it's really resonating with me. So I want to focus on it because the, it, it's really, the, 
the pace at which the development happens and the like disregard at which with which the development pursues its end game is very real in this movie. And so like let's say you move into that big sea of condos like literally in the shadow of the Jets stadium. And let's say the Jets get bought and moved out of New Jersey, which has happened with the Knicks. So like it's not impossible. What happened to that big ass building? <laughs> because I can guarantee you for a period of at the very least three months, at the very most, like decades, this big fucking giant nightmare building is just an abandoned bullshit thing that you live in the shadow of constantly. And the development, uh, there's nothing as egregious as that in Pompoco and like the developments that they like highlight. They're not like, oh, and we're going to build a big sports stadium for the Olympics and then it's just not going to happen. Um, <laughs> it's fucking close to home. Um, the. But the like poorly planned thing. What that's meant to say is, like, they didn't need to do this. If they had taken time, they could have done all these things and, like, thought about it more and made more uh, adjustments for wildlife and shrines. Because the after a while of, like, scaring and failing to of scaring humans and failing to stop the, um, the... Like encroachment, a Ganta, the um, the like, the like black ops fucking leader of this thing, um, he doesn't, he 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 gets trampled in the course of his own celebration, so um, so he. So so he's like take he's taken necessarily out of commission for the like remaining amount of time and the the other interesting thing about this movie is one one of the things that lets um Hayao Miyazaki's movies be really successful is he has a really big point of view main character and in Pompoko, the nearest main character you have is Ponkichi, and Ponkichi is this, like, he's really good at transforming, he's, he's genuinely interested in humans, and he, but he wants to, like, he wants to not hurt people. He's, like, he's, he, he's, he's a sweet, adorable muffin who falls in, um, who falls in love with another, um, Tanuki named um, Okio, and Okio is they're both they're both like the most wholesome, adorable people ever, um, or Tanukis ever. And Ponkichi and Okio eventually pull off this like twin spirit 
like twin spirits you moved our shrine fuck you um prank on the construction workers and that's a moment that's another moment where they're like yeah and then there are just more construction workers that show up so you they're going through um they're going through the like the motions of trying to scare the humans and eventually they go and they find they finally find the um transformation masters and the transformation masters are um the are from like different are from this a different community of um Tanuki on a different island where they have so successfully haunted their um they've so successfully haunted their um island that they that like people just believe that they're real that like the the shit is real and they believe that the Tanuki they're calling it so they treat them like deities and which is not an which is not a um a unheard of thing. The if if I if my memory served me correctly, the reason that like Tanukis were in the inception of Tanukis is like, have you ever looked at something and then turned your head and looked back and that thing is either not there or completely different? I, that's like people envision that like oh must be transforming raccoons with giant balls. Um, and there, so at some point, the like community's elder takes all the male tanukis aside and shows them this um, that they can use their their like. This is this is where this gets goofy in like a way that's like, oh fuck, they. They don't, like they don't care if children watch this, but there are definitely people who would. Uh, basically, the village elder is like, "Hey, you can transform only your ball sacks." And at some point, um, one of Ganta's like underlings, or maybe even I think it might be Ganta, sees this um illustration of a tanuki straight up just smothering somebody to death with his expanded nutsack. <laughs> and he's like, hmm, violent that is. Me like. And all this time, like, the, the humans aren't relenting and all this other stuff. But then the Transformation Masters get there, finally. And they stage this massive like parade of spirits basically where they where all the tanukis band together and transform into this parade of spirits and they parade through the streets of this development to try and scare people but everybody oh but everybody's like that was the coolest that was wild like there are certainly people scared but it's like 
there's more people fascinated than scared and a local amusement park because this is the 60s and we're ramping up to the fucking 90s when there's mountains of abandoned amusement parks. Fuck. Um, I, the, this local amusement park takes the credit and the, like, chief organizer who's one of the, um, who's one of the transformation masters, um, Kincho is just like, uh, uh, fuck, we, we did our best. And, um, Polinkichi is like, we should, we should do this again. We should, like, go bigger, go louder, go harder, be a bigger nightmare. Because, like, this is all this, like, big whimsical spirit party, but it's also this, like, giant fucking skeletons in the bay kind of nightmare. And so, like, it is this really scary, stunning thing. And artistically, it's this, like, massive interpretation of ukiyo of, like, super famous ukiyo-e imagery for, like, like, five minutes. It's amazing. And so that doesn't work. And you... It's... Up until this point, in the movie, up until just after the um, spirit parade thing they do, you're only ever seeing the Tanuki's point of view. And then you see, like, I think it's called, like, Wonderland. The, like, um, like, like, ha like, happy, like, like, wonderful land or whatever the theme, you see the CEO of the theme park and he's, like, now had to take heat for, like, claiming, for claiming, um, for claiming that he put on an un an unauthorized, illegal, fucking giant magical parade and he's trying to figure out who did this. And there's this guy. There's this, like, very slimy gentleman. <laughs> and this very slimy gentleman is actually a fox. And, um, I forget his name. Hold on. Um, but he, so the movie, the movie, when they're explaining, um, when they're explaining transformation, um, the uh, woman who teaches them all how to transform again, basically, um, she, she, um, says to them, like, there are only two, there are only two beings in the world where transformation is just a natural, there are only a few things can transform and she goes through um raccoons foxes and like in the most like esoteric and some magically sensitive cats and it's just it's like the cat thing is what like clinches that joke so you know at some point foxes were this like transforming race that is no longer around, you notice. And then you see the first fox, and I wish I could find his name. Um, but this fox basically says to um, the uh, very dadly-looking transformation master, 
you know, if if you guys want to survive, he said to Kincho, if you want to survive, you have to adapt. And you have to transform. And you, you have to, you, the ones of you who can transform have to transform and like live among humans as humans for the most part. And Kincho's like, uh, what about, what about, um, the ones of us who can't transform, he's like, uh, there's enough food in the city where they might be able to make it by, but there'll be there'll have to be some sacrifices made. And he, this whole conversation takes place in this dude's hostess bar that he owned, in which all the women are also transforming fox girls. It's incredible. And this... So the thing about the fox character is he's not really, he's not a big evil in the way that No-Face was not a big evil. He is, he is like, just, he's another existence in this concept. And this whole, this whole movie is really careful not to paint any side as bad. Because the... The, the thing that makes Fer, I'm going to talk about Fern Gully right now because I think it's important. Um, <laughs> the thing that happens in Fern Gully is they, because they want to say pollution, because they are in a very Captain America mode, pollution bad, they need to make the pollution feel evil and that's why they make like the slug monster in Fern Gully. That's also why all of the bad guys from Captain Plant from the old Captain Planet cartoon are like cackly assholes about drilling oil in the Mojave Desert or some shit. And that gives it this like that gives you this like good and bad mentality of like that yes is that yes should probably be true at some point and at at the point at which lots of oil and gas companies and construction companies have gotten to they they don't they they are wantonly ignoring the risks and consequences of what they're doing in a way that it's very easy to just say this is evil it is it is evil to cause such to cause such severe damage to the planet that like in some states you're you can light their your tap water literally on fire it is it is evil to fuck with the water supply so much that in flint michigan like the water is 65% lead or whatever the fuck it is right now. That stuff, once you know that you are having a negative effect on the world, it is your imperative to, as best you can, correct for it. Or at the very least, stop and figure everything out and then try and proceed in a more responsible way that is not hurting people. But often that's not what you know, 
damage to the environment and damage to wild and like erasure of wildlife and of forest and of forest looks like it's not anti-environmental moves don't always look like lady Aboshi cutting down all the trees and hunting the forest spirit sometimes they look like another family moving in down the block and that this movie in the background is it's, this movie in its very setting is about what it means when like you know dad gets dad gets a really great job in the city so now we can afford to move in to be one of the first people who move into this new like block of houses that was developed by like Yonko Construction Incorporated and so the worst the worst case scenario of overbuilding is still to this day China. There are whole there are whole that I don't know how much of them are still left or how much of them are occupied at this point, but in China there are whole developments made that are just sitting empty because there are no because there's no people who want to fill them. And the um, John Stewart, when he was on The Daily Show, used to, like, every once in a while, they'd have a thing about China, and he'd be like, you know, the capital of chewable air. <laughs> because they had built themselves, China has, on many levels, built itself into a corner, and the pollution of just everyday use of, like, you know, the more populated parts of China makes it not impossible to live in, but really difficult in like the more urban areas of China because there's so much pollution and there's so much, there's so many people without the like, and they're changing this now because they have to, or else they're set themselves on fire or some shit. Um, um, it just causes this, it causes this level of pollution that's ultimately not good for not just wildlife, but for the people who live in the area where the wildlife used to be. Um, when I was in actually Morocco, I was okay when we were in Fez, like when we were in Fez, the Medi when we were in Fez and we were in the Medina, I was, I was pretty Okay. But when we went to Marrakesh, and we still stayed, we stayed, like, on the outer edge of the Medina part of Marrakesh. But it was close enough to the main, to the main, like, drag, where the sheer amount of, like, noxious fumes from all the motorbikes carrying five, carrying five-member families on them, which is a serious thing they did do. Just, like, the diesel fumes from that. Like, I had to go take a nap because I had a screaming headache by the middle of the day because there was just so much, like, just raw pollution in the air because there was no regulation around that. There were no rules around that. And, it's like, it's all being pumped up into the sky and you're just like, oh, my God. Ugh. Also... You can see mountains from parts of Morocco, but you really can't 
because it's so hazy, because it's getting so polluted. And I'm not saying that, like, third world countries or second world countries should have the opportunity to catch up. But what I am saying is, like, it, eventually rampant human expansion will close in on itself in a way that's that's not even unsustainable for the environment. It's unsustainable for that for that closed loop you've created. Um, a great example of this is the um, this thing called the Kowloon Walled City. And I keep imagining that, like, these developers that are developing in New Jersey will eventually develop themselves into a circle and, like, shut the door on themselves and it'll just be this own contained thing. And that, but that all starts like the developments they have in Pompoco. I know this sounds bizarre, but this is really what this movie is about. It is about it's about nature having to adapt to humanity when humanity should have, before they even started, stopped and been like, you know, I bet there's lots of animals that live in that forest. What's going to be... What, what's going to happen when we build into it? What's going to happen to those animals? What will be the repercussions? Because... um you know, one of the repercussions in America, in, especially in California, is wildfires, wildfires from the sheer amount of electricity being pumped out across that state. A wire snaps in the middle of nowhere, boom, fire season starts. You know, wind blows weird, boom, fire season starts. They are building on the sides of hills, mudslide, people are now homeless. And... You know, the best part about this movie is that until you get to, like, the theme park director, like, the director of that theme park, you spend so much time with all the characters of Pompoco, even, like, unnamed background characters, that it feels like a community, and it feels like, like you get to know these characters, and they, they humanize... Pompoco goes to an even greater length to humanize the forest than Princess Mononoke does. Because in Princess Mononoke, the like main driver for humanizing the forest is the um, old gods that live there. Like Maru, like Makoto, like, um, I forget the name of the boar god who dies in the beginning of that movie. Um, uh, all those characters are speak with a human voice because Miyazaki wants the forest to be able to speak and the forest to be able to express its anger at humanity for stepping in its cornflakes, basically. But because that movie is so grand and because that movie has such a fable-esque quality of, like, you're you you're watching you're watching something like when you watch um when you watch Princess Monoki, you feel like, oh, this thing is trying to tell me something about a lot of things. When you watch Pompoco, you are 
you know that it's and this is why I suspect the narrator is probably still as prevalent in the Japanese um, dub of the movie is that the narrator is giving you information about the world constantly and information about the character about all the tanukis and like their mannerisms and all this stuff so he's filling in little gaps here and there and they are they are and it's that's important because that lets you see like oh this is what these doofuses are up against this is why they're so afraid because they're going to lose their home and the introduction of the fox like offering them a quasi way out is also really interesting because he's like you know you you got to get with the times and there are people who won't and those people just have to deal and and um the transformation master who tells him about that who um who he meets with is just like that that's not okay. <laughs> that's not how this should go, man. Like, you know, I know these guys. Some of them can't transform. How They shouldn't have to just deal. We were here first. They, we didn't fuck this up. They did. And it has this... It has this quality to it that I don't think a whole lot of stuff really gets and gets right. Um, in that it it acknowledges the like imbalance at the start of any conflict, you know, like um, the the humans were always going to you know outpopulate the out, like out like push the Tanukis out, but just because there's an option for some of them to survive and some of them not to survive doesn't mean that the ones who can transform and go live among humans should just abandon everybody who can't. And by spending the bulk of your time with the Tanuki characters in this, you... A, by spending the bulk of your time with the Tanuki characters in this, and B, by... Removing Ganta and his, like, band of war criminals from the plot until the until close to the end um, makes it so you humanize the whole lot of them and you spend this time with them and you understand them. So when Ganta comes back and, like, tries to kamikaze nutsack bomb, you know, an entire police force... Uh, you don't you don't you wouldn't support that but you understand it and you understand why he's so ravenous against humanity because it it's it they do a good job of making you feel like oh this thing is gonna march over them it's going to march over them and they won't have anything less unless they fight for it. And it, it, it in a much more complex way seeks to like have a conversation about 
what you do to the environment around you as a person just going through your daily life that you don't that you don't think about there's a there's a scene where one of the tanuki where tanuki dies cuz gets caught in a in a um raccoon trap and it's like they show it they show they you see it coming you see it happen and all you think is like raccoons have been like this is the result of like a raccoon trying to survive by getting garbage by you know killing a chicken and stealing a chicken from like this woman's yard and this woman trying to protect her chickens and the eggs they lay and the meat she'll have from them by putting out a trap. But it, so like this has, this movie has a very, the mice in the walls are living animals too. They aren't, they aren't pests. And so much of what we as people regard as pests are just wildlife trying to live in the environment that we fucked with. They are adapting to an environment that we fucked with. And, you know, do you love to see, you know, cockroaches everywhere when your apartment's dirty? No. But you know who are probably there first? The cockroaches. Not us. And it just... It's kind of wild to watch a movie that is so much that way, but is not, like I said, like Fern Gully, a, a, like, pitch, a, like, a pitching of good against evil. It is good against, it is nature, it is human nature against mother nature in like a weird interesting way so if you've never seen um pompoco you can go watch it on hbo max i explicitly didn't spoil the ending um and kept and i think kept it pretty vague all the way through uh, it's it's really interesting it um does a great job of explaining it the like period of time that take that it's taking place in and while and why that's important to the plot of the movie um, but this is where I'm going to leave it. If you like this episode, you can subscribe to the podcast and whatever you're using to listen to me right now. If you're interested in, let's say, American comic books and um, X-Men in particular from the mid-70s, let's say, you can check out my friend Lauren and I and Larry's podcast, Uncanny Curves. Um, you can find it literally, if you're hearing me in a, in a podcast cast app right now, you can look up Unca the Uncanny Curse podcast in that same app and you can also hear it. There are two episodes right now, out right now, and we are very proud of it. So go check that out. Um, but until Sunday, I have been Alex and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio and I'll talk to you then.